Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivaglani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm really happy to welcome Josh Scholler, one of my new colleagues now that Osmosis has joined the Elsevier family. Josh is president of Global Clinical Solutions at Elsevier and chief executive officer at the healthcare business of LexisNexis Risk Solutions. He's worked in all segments of the healthcare industry in the US over the past 25 years, specializing in data management and integration, application architecture, predictive analytics, and decision support. His role at Elsevier involves ensuring the development and growth of strategy as well as customer satisfaction. And it's a pleasure to have gotten to know Josh over the last two months. Uh, I directly work with Elizabeth Munn, one of his peers who runs the global medical education business, who we had on the podcast, as well as Jan Herzog, who runs Elsevier Health Markets. And two weeks ago, saw Josh make a major announcement about a Truveta partnership at the One Health Conference, which I talked about a bit on LinkedIn, if you follow me there. So Josh, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Hey, my pleasure. Excited to be here. So obviously, I know a lot about you, but for our audience who isn't as familiar with you and your background, can you tell us a bit more about how you got interested in data as a field and then applying that to healthcare? Oh, yeah, that goes back a, a long, long time. So I wanted to work from a very early age, started lawn mowing and snow shoveling businesses, I think, when I was eight or nine with my brother. Quickly got into the first job I could get, which was McDonald's, and then went on to work at a nursing home but was looking for something that, uh, you know, kind of was uh, also worked the brain. And I ended up getting a job at a company called Dynamark, which was a uh, data management company. And they hired me in as a kind of a, a clerk in the computer room, teaching me data operations and computer operations. So it happened to be the old control data building where Michael Cray invented the very first supercomputer. And uh, we crushed a lot of data at that time. In the very beginning, I was in the banking side of it. And so I was the customer down in the computer room, loading round reels for the guys upstairs that were coding, who would come down and, and talk to me about prioritizing their jobs. And I would do that in exchange for them teaching me how to code and got into data science when I was probably a junior in, in high school before even college and studies began. So been in data and analytics for a really long time. That's awesome. And then, um, so obviously now with, with Elsevier, you play a big role. I mean, there's so much data that you guys can handle and are, are working to de-identify. Can you tell us a bit about how that has translated into a career in healthcare? Like kind of what your professional trajectory has looked like there? Yeah. So that company Dynamark got bought by FICO or Fair Isaac, and I spent 15 years there. So I did almost everything you can do. Programmer, product development, business development, uh, ran the data management practice. After 15 years, I started a company called Inclarity, that was a provider data management company. So utilizing big data technologies to manage every single healthcare provider in the US, every single organization, keep them linked together, keep them correct, current, and comprehensive, and then offer that as an API out to various compliance and quality solutions out there on the market. That company was acquired by Relics, our parent company in 2013. So that's how I got here. And Clarity was all healthcare focused. And at FICO, we had started to build out the idea for Inclarity and uh, they decided they didn't like it and they didn't want to fund it. But that's what kind of got me into healthcare is moving from consumer data management to provider data management. And then I, I really just fell in love with being a part of healthcare. You know, we're always looking to have a broader mission when we're working as hard as we work. And in healthcare, there's so much work to be done. It's very easy to, to have a noble mission. You know, both my businesses and on the LexisNexis side, we have a mission to create healthier communities. And on the Elsevier side, it's to improve every patient outcome. So they're very much aligned. And you can imagine 
both mission-driven organizations around people that are very committed to using data and analytics and content to help improve healthcare in the U.S. and throughout the world. Definitely. And I was one of the first things I learned when we joined Relics as well was how many clients you have in the healthcare system space. So there, I think globally, there's over 9,000 health systems that work with Elsevier, Relics, LexisNexis. And then in the U.S., 97 of the top 100 healthcare systems work with you all. And so, you know, obviously there's a lot of great customers, a lot of great applications, but for our audience, which primarily are students, faculty at uh, health professional schools, can you tell us a little bit about some specific applications? You know, how is data analytics actually used in healthcare? Like what are some of the products or solutions that you all offer? Yeah, we have a really robust product set and that's probably the reason why our reach is as big as it is. You know, most people know Elsevier from our 140 year old history as a publisher. So Part of my portfolios is, are still books for education. Part of the way that we progress the company forward is taking a look at how we can take books, which is how do I educate myself and turn it into digital content, which is how can I answer a question at the point of care or when I'm doing research right there. And that's really our flagship product, Clinical Key, is that digitized content and search capabilities for clinicians, but certainly we have CK student for students and um, CK nursing for the nursing students as well. So we've kind of rounded that out. And then we have patient pass, which is different patient engagement solutions. We have a full nursing portfolio on nursing education. So a lot of different uh, offerings that we put together all around our great content. And then, you know, the next evolution is how do we take that content, which is what do I need to do now to more advanced clinical decision support, where we're pairing that evidence-based content with deeper organization of clinical data from the EHR, as well as overlaid data and analytics to help clinicians make better decisions. Yeah, it's all really exciting stuff. And I know one of our first meetings, I talked about um, one of our great partners is New York University, NYU, which is number two med school in the US and obviously a major health system. And the work we're doing with them and osmosis where they're sending us data on what types of diagnoses their students are seeing in the clinic through their Epic EHR on a daily basis. And then we're sending them back targeted osmosis videos and content that'll help those students better understand those diagnoses for treatment. And this is something you guys have talked about and thought about for a while as well. So we're very excited about that and being able to apply our content in more predictive ways. And one thing I learned about two weeks ago at the One Health Conference is, is Jan, how'd you come up and talk about the Truveta partnership? So not many of our audience will probably know what Truveta is. So maybe you can give us a bit of background on that. And, and today, when you presented the Osmosis team, I was excited to hear how you cold LinkedIn outreach to the Truveta CEO, and then that led to this great partnership and deal. So can you just give our audience a bit of a background on that? Yeah, absolutely. So it was probably about a year ago, I was uh, on LinkedIn and I saw this press release called Saving Lives with Data, which caught my eye. And uh, so I started reading through it and it mentioned Terry Meyerson, who came from Microsoft, had founded this startup and, and got funding and had already got 14 large health systems across the U.S. to sign up with him to let him leverage their full clinical data for uh, a research platform. And I thought, oh, that's a big undertaking. A lot of people have tried to organize that much data, I'm talking about nearly 100 million people, full longitudinal clinical data set. And so I thought, we probably have some tools that can help him out. So I, I got on LinkedIn. I found Terry. I sent him a note and said, you know, hey, our mission's aligned. Really like to uh, see if there's any way we could help you out, help you get to market quicker. And he called me back and said, yeah, let's talk. And so two weeks later, we had a meeting. 
and uh, went through capabilities. And nine months later, we, we executed an agreement for us to be the exclusive provider of his de-identification capability or what we call patient-centric token. Our token will be the de-identification token for his platform. But incrementally to that, you know, he's got very deep clinical data. What we have on the LexisNexis healthcare side is we have one of the largest de-identified medical claims data sets available in the U.S., over 2.2 billion medical claims annually. And those are coming in every single day as they're being transmitted from providers' offices to payers, from payers back to provider offices. If you think about, um, you know, he's got a full view into a hospital system, but we have like a pretty directional view of the whole U.S. So you can start modeling and doing benchmarks and those types of things with that data. We're also overlaying mortality data, de-identified again, of course, as well as our social determinants of health. So we have uh, attributes that help round out conditions that impact your health outside of your clinical condition. So you can look at different risk factors. And one of the areas that we're using that right away is, is looking at health inequities and how do we start solving for health inequities in the U.S. That's awesome. And one of the big focuses of the RaiseLine podcast is this transition to SDOH, social determinants of health, value-based medicine. We've had people like uh, Chris Chen, uh, who runs Chen Med, Rushika at Iora Health, and then Vivian Lee, who I know we both know. She was president of the University of Utah Health System and then wrote this book, um, The Long Fix, which has become pretty popular, which perfectly timed too, because one of the forcing functions are silver linings of the pandemic, apart from the growth of telehealth and consumer-driven healthcare, which we'll get into has been this massive surge towards value-based healthcare. So can, can you tell us a bit more about, with this data lens on the US healthcare system, how do you view what you do at Clinical Solutions and LexisNexis as maybe being part of value-based medicine or maybe pushing towards that? Is it just better measurements or like how, how should we think about that? Let's just start with the, the current spend in healthcare is unsustainable long-term, right? So we have a problem in front of us and government and private sector spent a lot of time thinking about how we can make the jump from fee-for-service to value-based care. I would say that that jump has been slow because it's hard to change a massive system where the incentives and the reimbursement and, and the measurements are all in place. The main challenge though has not been necessarily the financial system updates or the contract updates. The challenge has been in understanding the risk, right? If you're going to get paid by the outcome, if you're taking care of somebody with diabetes who's very wealthy and eats healthy food and has transportation to their doctor's appointments and can pay for their prescriptions, their risk factor to you as a provider is much different than if you're taking care of someone who's got that same diabetes diagnosis, but doesn't have access to healthy food. They live in a food desert and they don't have access to transportation to get to their appointments and they can't afford their medicine. So, you know, that this is a social determinants of health example, um, but there's many examples of that. So understanding how do we enable providers and the reimbursement model to really understand the risk that doctors are taking on and help create success metrics within those risks. Uh, and, and that is in law, like they do have a standard to do that. I think getting the data and driving the right analytics to help both sides uh, understand that has been a big challenge. And we're seeing it more and more in pockets. Certainly the creation of the ACOs where the providers and the payers are, are more one group where they're working together, I think is a great way to get started. But if we really want it to work at scale, we have to have better data and analytics to drive that, that risk understanding as well as the outcomes analysis of what's going on in health. Definitely. I mean, that's a really good breakdown and a very specific 
and good example of an SDOH. Um, and you know, ultimately, it, it does come down to risk and being able to predict, as you said, go from just collecting the data to then you know taking all these silos of data, which you had mentioned, combining them in really interesting and generative ways, and then using it for prediction so that health systems can, can make the right decisions and providers individually too. One of my favorite interviews was with our institutional partner, Kaiser Permanente, which is one of the best, I think, examples of a health system that was able to kind of combine both the provider and payer side of things, and now has a med school. And their dean, Dr. Mark Schuster, was on, um, and they've integrated a lot of this stuff into their curriculum already, uh, SDOH and, and value-based medicine. So it's exciting to see what the next gen will do there. Another big trend that's related and kind of going back to your days working in consumer analytics is the growth in consumer-driven healthcare. Right, digital health companies like 23andMe, which went public last year, also a client of ours. And then also we had the SVP of Walmart Health, Marcus Osborne on the RaiseLine podcast. Lots of companies that traditionally are consumer type companies like Walmart, CVS are really going into healthcare. What do you make of this trend? Is that overall positive? You know, does it open up doors to, to collecting a lot of data? Like, how are you thinking about it? I mean, I think overall it is positive, right? Because it, it requires engagement in your health. A long time ago, I had this idea, again, because I came from FICO, that we were going to have, um, like we have credit scores, we were going to have health scores. And people would actually understand what were the levers to make themselves healthier. And it's not that we don't understand, right? You got to exercise, you got to have a good diet, you have to go to the doctor, uh, th those types of things. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, culturally, that's still not in front of us, right? But the move to consumer-driven healthcare means that you're not just going to go to the doctor that's closest to your house or the you know, the office that, uh, that your parents went to, you're starting to do research and you're starting to make decisions based on cost, based on quality, um, based on preferences. I look like this. I want a doctor that looks like me, you know, those types of things. So I think that that's the start of it. Certainly the pandemic heightened what I'll call the move to digital health or, or telehealth, which is a piece of consumer-driven health too, right? The access piece. And then I'd say you got the legislative side of it, right? The 21st Century Cures Act, passed in 2021, most significant health legislation in over two decades, which says you as a consumer own all your health information and you get to decide via consent who gets it and who doesn't get it. And by the way, if you want it, any institution that has that has to give it to you. So now we have the standard and fire that's out there and we have the legislation. Now we have to start to get our culture to be able to adopt that. But I think it could, it's going to be very powerful for Think in the future of someone being able to walk into their doctor's office and instead of showing an insurance card and showing an ID and paying with a credit card and then sitting down with a white clipboard and filling out three pages of paper, they come in with their phone, scan a barcode, and they're in the office. And the things that we can solve from a patient safety perspective um, with not getting records wrongly matched, the things that we can solve from a cost perspective of why are you running that lab again? It was just done two months ago. I think there's a bunch of benefits if we can get there, but interoperability is not an easy thing to solve for. So we see ourselves at being potentially sitting right at the heart of that in helping with data standardization, with data linking, with uh, authentication of individual identities to make sure you are who you say you are when you're getting your data. We have a lot of solutions that kind of help in that broader utility that needs to be brought into healthcare. That's really exciting. And uh, one of our regular listeners on the Raiseline podcast, who also was on the podcast as a guest, there's a guy named Peter Frischoff, who I call the godfather of osmosis, one of my mentors and friends. He started Medscape. He was the first one who actually introduced me to FHIR, the FHIR um, standard of interoperability. And so uh, I know he's going to be very happy hearing you talk about that and the stuff uh, Elsevier LexisNexis will be offering. So 
you know, another question I know our audience would be interested in is you wear two hats, Elsevier's clinical solutions leader, and then also LexisNexis on the healthcare side. How do those two overlap? Uh, and has that led to actual like product integrations? Like how does a combination help customers? Uh, I think that's a big part of my charter and I'm five months in. So I, I might need a little bit more time, but absolutely there is a strong hypothesis that as we take our digital content and as we move from being referential evidence-based content into categorizing that and overlaying it with analytics to get it more at the point of care for clinical decision support, that data and analytics are going to be a bigger and bigger piece of that. So we have a few pilots this year, one working with social determinants of health, um, one working with our identity data, one working with our de-identified medical claims data, where we're starting to utilize that to drive greater insights on how our content can be linked and how that content can be surfaced. And I think later this year, we'll have, we'll have some good progress on some of the next steps that we want to take uh, in better integrating data. And, and then certainly our you know, clinical path, which is our oncology platform for pathways, that's utilizing clinical data today and utilizing our analytics and data capabilities to help define those pathways as well as uh, linking that with some external data sources are underway as well. So I would say that we're not quite there in market yet, but uh, we have all the data assets at our fingertips, which I don't think any other company can say. And so now it's just about putting them to work. Yeah, I keep forgetting. You're also pretty new to these roles. And so, yeah, just like Osmosis, we're excited to see where we'll both be if we have this conversation a year from now. You know, we launched this podcast when the COVID pandemic just began. Everyone was saying flatten the curve, which is health literacy, getting people to physically distance, wear masks, now get vaccinated. The other half is raising the line and strengthening our healthcare system, which uh, the way Osmosis has been looking at it is training the next generation of healthcare professionals because we've already had massive shortages worldwide before COVID. Now with COVID, it's even worse. So what are your recommendations having worked in healthcare for some time around other things we could be doing to raise line and strengthen our healthcare system? Yeah, I mean, what you just outlined ar around staffing is probably the most critical, right? We need more doctors, we need more nurses, we need more frontline healthcare workers in general to be ready for this. What we learned during this is we have real capacity concerns. You know, if I went to the next level of concern, it's basic equipment that wasn't available during this, right? And then I would also say that the pandemic really heightened the obvious truth that there are true health inequities and access issues uh, in our healthcare system. So those are probably more public health focused going forward. But if you start looking at uh, other global systems, we consider healthcare very clinical only, where I think in a lot of other nations, public health and healthcare are very closely linked. And I hope that out of this pandemic, we start to look at how we can link those a little bit closer. And again, it comes back to, we've talked about it several times, social determinants uh, is a big piece of that, but you can have the analytics to understand what people's deficiencies are or their access issues are. If you don't have the investment in your local community, public health, whether it's a food bank or meals on wheels or transportation to get to doctor's appointments, all those things, you know, most of those are largely underfunded. Uh, and so I think hopefully an awareness around improving focus on all of those. So next time this happens, if, if it ever does, and we all hope it doesn't, we are better prepared. And um, we know going into it, not only how we have to act and behave as a society, but also that people on the front line are better supported. Totally. Um, and actually, that's a good transition to the next question, which is around, you know, if you were to help redesign 
curricula for medical schools or nursing schools, you know, osmosis is doing this in partnership with many of these schools to fill in knowledge gaps. Like what are some of the topics you'd be interested in making sure that the next generation of healthcare professionals actually knows about? Uh, now you being a clinician are probably a better person to answer that than me being a data geek, but I'll give you my data geek answer, which is um, I think more and more data and analytics are going to come in contact with clinicians in their daily practice. In some ways that's certain to be seen as a threat, right? Why do I need these I think we need to re-level set and do some training. Now, certainly these tools, data and analytics need to advance so that they're actually helpful uh, in all cases. All clinicians have to do more and more each day with less and less time to do it. And so if we look at these data and analytics of driving additional insights to help them do their job better, to make them more efficient, I think some more training around that piece of it would be uh, helpful. And then the other side of it, I helped at George Washington University to find curriculum for their master's in public health. And a lot of the things that we talked about on the public health side, I think would be helpful to have a little bit deeper dive in uh, as far as access to resources and, again, that non-clinical understanding of a person's holistic health. Yeah, and I love the idea you just mentioned again of the FICO score, but for health. And, you know, we have a long way to get there, but the rise of digital health companies um, has certainly helped push us that way. One of my favorite guests on the podcast was Ann Wojcicki, who, who runs 23andMe. Also, we work with them. We've done a whole course for patients and providers on direct-to-consumer genetics because when they were coming out, one of the biggest complaints uh, physicians and others would have about any direct-to-consumer healthcare was, would this lead to cyberchondria? People getting this genetic analysis and not knowing what to do with it or thinking that they would definitely get cancer because of one genetic variant or something. And so a lot of it comes down, as you said, to engagement and education. Um, and I think if anything, it's good that consumers are taking more of an interest and we can incentivize them to take more of an interest in this. But then it's ultimately important for healthcare professionals to accept that data and us to help them by developing technologies so that they can better interpret that data and leverage it as opposed to just being noise, find the signal. Absolutely. I mean, you, you saw last week on the One Health launch, the first pillar of change is battling the infodemic, right? More data doesn't necessarily mean more knowledge. And I think we're in a unique position to help ensure that, you know, this is evidence-based and it's peer-reviewed and it's not an op-ed, right? We have to really have the highest bar set for the curation of information. And that's really core to, to our mission at Elsevier and certainly within Clinical Solutions. Totally. And one of the reasons we, we decided to join up with Elsevier is 140 years worth of providing this trusted healthcare information to, to professionals and scientists and, and the masses. So speaking of providing information to young professionals, uh, since the osmosis audience primarily consists of you know millions of current and future healthcare professionals, any advice that you would give to them about meeting the challenges of COVID and approaching their career in healthcare, maybe analytics um, or, or just careers in general? Uh, buckle up. It's a super exciting field, super rewarding field super challenging field. Uh, not only do you have to be wicked smart to be a good clinician, but you also have to have the empathy and the compassion to work with people every day. On the other side of it, it it's super rewarding. You know, we're going through a healthcare renaissance. It's been my new term lately, and it's a lot of the topics that we talked about today, whether it's the, the move to consumer-driven health and, and digital health and telehealth, the move to value-based care, the new regulations around data access, the pandemic that we're in and trying to get out of, all of these things are changing healthcare more rapidly than it's ever changed before. And so if you have the ability and the want 
to go in and, and be a healthcare clinician, I think you're the heroes of the future because we need it more than ever. The baby boomers are, are getting older and it seems like there could be additional uh, ongoing risk of other pandemics and new things coming onto the scene. And so, you know, being a part of that and being in front of it, I think is, is more critical than ever. I think the non-clinician community needs to be thinking about how we do a better job of preparing and protecting folks that are willing to get on the front line. And so that's, that's a big part of what we're trying to do. Yeah. I love that. Again, one of my hopes moving forward is that as a society, we, we not only invest more in public health and these trends that, that we've talked about in over the last 30 minutes, but also, you know, a lot of other countries, they do fund uh, their health professionals. The median debt of a medical student graduating in the U.S. is $200,000. That's not a way to, to help encourage people to go into the field. So my last question is, is there anything else that you'd like our audience to know about you, about Clinical Solutions or LexisNexis before we let you go on with the rest of the day? No, just if you're not familiar with Clinical Solutions or the broader Elsevier Health business, come check us out. I think the tools that we put out there for students and for professionals, we're putting a lot of innovation into them. New additions like Shadow Health, like Osmosis, like Complete Anatomy, uh, like V Oncology, these are all investments in adding more value for our student communities and, and for our clinicians that are out there. And that's really our mission. I think we're in a really unique spot to continue to innovate and continue to bring higher value. We have no shortage of ideas of greater uh, integration into workflows and, and greater access and, and managing from life cycle of a first year medical student to residency to full practicing physicians. I think we have a very exciting business and I'm hoping that all of your listeners, if they don't know us well, get to know us better. Me too. And that's one reason it's been a privilege to have you on the podcast. So with that, Josh, thanks so much for taking the time to not only show up on our podcast, but obviously the important work you and the entire Clinical Solutions and LexisNexis teams do to raise the line and flatten the curve. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And with that, thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>